Welcome to the Cornell Policy Review Podcast. My name is Austin Reed, and I am the Senior Managing Editor at The Review. This podcast series will explore a variety of policy issues through interviews and conversations with figures around the world. Today, we are excited to bring you a conversation between Shivanshu Sharma, an MPA fellow at the Cornell University Jeb E. Brooks School of Public Policy, and Parmesh Shah, the global lead for data-driven digital agriculture in the agriculture and food global practice at the World Bank. This interview will explore the role of technological disruptions in agriculture and food systems and how the World Bank supports this agenda. We hope you enjoy. Uh, welcome on the Cornell Policy Review podcast and thank you for taking the time out to talk about technological disruptions in agriculture and food systems. Before we talk about technology and disruptions, can you briefly share your background and professional journey? Thanks, Shivanshu. So I am currently the global lead for data-driven digital agriculture in the agriculture and food global practice at the World Bank. I lead a team of people across the bank who work on this agenda, which helps uh, learn, know about the latest developments, then convert them into uh, policy advice operations across all the countries in the world. So our role is to really give uh, leadership and guidance to the bank staff working on these issues. And also at the same time is to work with a multi-stakeholder community across the world, which includes private sector, technology companies, data companies, a lot of large venture capital funds, and others to really develop new kinds of thinking and new knowledge on that. And before that, uh, used to play a role of being the global lead on livelihoods and jobs at the World Bank, right. in which uh, we were trying to, uh, again, uh, develop a set of operations and analytical work and guidance to the bank teams, which were working on those issues across the world. And I was also responsible for the investments as the bank team, which is managing those investments. So I have led bank projects worth about four to $5 billion in the past in these areas also. Uh, so I've played different roles. And before coming to the bank, I have worked with the uh, nonprofits. Uh, I have worked with government and I have worked with a number of other organizations to really build the programs on community development, livelihoods, economic organizations of the poor, social entrepreneurship, SMEs, and lots of other similar kinds of things. Right. Thank you, Parmesh, for this brief introduction. I had the privilege to work with you since the start of my career, and your work is an inspiration to many of us coming from India. Uh, thank you so much for all the great work you do. Uh, now, coming back to the topic of the day, uh, which is role of technology in food systems. As per the UN, the world population is expected to reach 9.7 billion by 2015 and food production must double to meet the demand of the world's population. As population grows, resources like land are going to get scarce. How do you see technology playing a role in addressing these issues to feed almost 10 billion people by 2050? Technology has uh, many, many roles to play. So if you look at the food system, 
the first part of the food system is how do you produce various things uh, like food cereals but also horticulture vegetables right. and other things from the same land or do you also develop a different way of producing which you see currently in terms of vertical agriculture and soilless farming and all you know so there is agriculture and food will be produced differently because of technology and wherever we are producing it it will be produced more sustainably and in different kind of ways so yeah. that uh, people are able to really get enough of that but the major issue is that food is not just crops food is aquaculture food is livestock and lots of stuff i think the definition of the food is bigger than what we normally think about just wheat or you know uh, rice and some cereal yeah. crops currently the production of non cereal crops is higher than cereal crops in most parts of the world and i think what you will see is that while the cereal crop will become much more efficient in only in some regions whereas the other crops in terms of diversification will grow faster and the bigger challenge is now what will small holders do in such a situation will they continue to just grow water guzzling and fertilizer guzzling crops or they will move on to more sustainable forms of crops they are able to do so technology plays a role in uh, production productivity and land use and then having optimizing production there technology also has a role in linking people to markets previously people didn't have information didn't have access to digital devices so they would know where the food is demanded and how much is demanded what quality is demanded because of the advent of the whole digital technology and data revolution people are able to access products from any part of the world and in the right quantities and quality so i think in agriculture and food access to markets downstream markets upstream markets export markets uh, you know discerning consumers who want organic produce only will become more important and it's easier to do it because of data and digital technology so that will also change that and finally is the issue of climate where if you don't know what's going to happen to climate and you keep on producing your food you might not have enough food still available in spite of what you do so how do you produce climate smart weather smart food is also issue of technology we now at the world bank feel that as technology has conventionally been applied to being applied in research centers and then going to others now the question would be that data and digital tools access to digital services digital payments will allow disruption in production in services and access to markets and access to finance right how do we enable that disruption to take place through being accessible to farmers there are 500 million small holders in the world generally the conventional ex service delivery and extension has not reached them because you don't have enough people who can provide those services to those people you have the farmer organizations or farmers and all but what you need is the information to flow faster and which allows people to take decisions second you need services to be provided digitally so that even a small holder has access to a mechanized tractor or any other services because they know where the tractor is tractor can come to them because you can uberize that part of the interaction so agriculture as a service is possible 
so that every farmer doesn't have to provide service to himself or herself. They can have specialist service delivery providers providing them services because of access to data and digital technology. So agriculture is a service. Service sector revolution in agriculture is now coming in, particularly for smallholders. And that's a very major change. So it's not about what technologies are available. It is about how those technologies are and services are really accessed by people. Same way about traceability. So if a person wants to buy a very good organic produce in some remote corner of which is produced by indigenous people in Latin America or in India or Asia or anywhere, they don't know how to procure that. But if you have a traceability tool which allows you to immediately provide that information to the people who want to buy, then that transaction will happen fast. It is about you know, information, transactions, and services. These three things have not been accessible to a lot of smallholders in difficult and geographies earlier. Now it's possible for us to shrink this part, make sure the people who are providing services, the people who have markets, the people who have resources in terms of credit and other services can make those available to smallholders fast. So eventually the investment in agriculture and food system itself will go up considerably and will not be restricted to only big areas, but it will be restricted to locations where smallholders are there. And so as the farmers get aggregated in terms of their farmer organizations and all, it will be easier for them to access downstream markets, upstream markets, resources from financial institutions through digital finance, and then also access technology and allow private sector innovators to develop very customized products and services. So it will be like smallholders never had access to precision uh, services and precision inputs. Now that is possible because you bring in a lot of these services, because data is available through a digital farmer registry or satellite data. You know more about those farmers than you know normally by in which you have to go to every farmer to do everything. So availability of data, availability of analytics, and then availability of you know, using algorithms to define good services. So algorithms don't have to be done only for providing uh, products through e-commerce in urban areas. Algorithms are going to be used now for delivering services, inputs, finance to a lot of uh, smallholders. Once that happens, then you get the same efficiency you have in the modern market or the modern data-driven technology, which you're seeing through e-commerce where people are able to access services and products even during COVID time. The same thing happened during COVID time for smallholders also. They were able to, through their you know, interaction in WhatsApp and you know, digitally interacting with each other, they were able to survive COVID, uh, both in terms of access to inputs and access to outputs. So I think there is a bigger disruption happening where data and digital will drive the agenda. So we at World Bank now feel that every investment we do we should make an investment in digital ecosystem and a technology platform and a you know services delivery platform which is informed by digitization so if that platform is invested by governments and through global public goods the chances that the food crisis which talk about food security will not happen because you would know exactly where to produce how much to produce how to produce how to link it up with market, how to take care of the climate change. So you will produce, be able to produce things on a sustainable basis. It still is a continuous challenge because technologies will continue to get evolved. But if you have data about 500 million farmers, 
But the 500 million farmers have data about markets. They have the data about opportunities. Then the chance that we will be able to meet the food security requirements in future is high. Right. So you talked about creating agriculture as service. So focusing on developing the ecosystem approach, like taking the system approach. So there are multiple innovative technological interventions coming across globe. So how is World Bank supporting those interventions? So what we do now is that like, I'll give you one example of how we did this in Kenya. Kenya yeah. is got a lot of innovations going on. You know about the M-Pesa, the right. financial payments. But the fact of the matter is still only 6% of the Kenyan farmers have access to credit. The fact that only 11% Kenyan farmers have access to mechanization, smallholders. So when we looked at this issue, we found that a lot of innovators were finding unique solutions to this. So I'll give you an example that we have an organization called Hello Tractor in Africa, which really what it has done is it has fitted a GPS device on every tractor so that you know where the tractor is and uh, whether it's running idle or not or something like that. Tractor owners uh, in Africa, in spite of having tractors, uh, they are able to use tractors only for 36% of the time. Whereas the farmers are able to use services only for 20% of the time. So it's a paradoxical kind of thing that you have assets, you have people who can deliver services, and you have farmers who want those services, but they never came together. What Hello Tractor is, put a device on the tractor, so you know where the tractor is. So it's like every tractor is fitted with a a telematic device. Then what they did also, they organized farmers and also brought in a lot of tractor drivers and and young people and created an Uber-like platform for smallholders on accessing tractors. So if I'm a smallholder farmer in, in Kisumu or Machakos in Kenya, I can really say that I need tractor for this crop. And the guys who are delivering services get that and they are able to do a digital handshake in terms of doing it. So you have an Uber-like app. Uber has been working for only urban mobility. It has never been used, that whole concept has never been used for providing remote mechanization services. You just twist it. What you need is you need a backbone of data. Without data, you cannot deliver services. So once you have the tractor delivery, you are there. So a lot of our farmer organizations and all already have data on the farmer. So all that get digitized. So you have digitization of the farmer data, you have digitization of the tractor data, and you have now a transaction platform. And then along with that, because Kenya already has an M-Pesa platform, you get a payment platform. Because if you don't have a payment platform, how will the handshake happen, basically? So now, because of that, there is almost 50% increase in mechanization within three years. This is disruptive. Not happened for 20 years. So another example, soil. Soil is a very important resource. And a lot of fertilizer is given in Africa and many parts of the world without soil testing. So people end up using a lot of fertilizer which does not have any impact on productivity because you give fertilizer without knowing whether that soil really needs it or not. There is an IoT scanner device which an organization called AgroCares has developed now in Kenya, but in many other countries also. Whereas you put a scanner, it's an IoT scanner, put it in the soil, the report is available. It compares that all the data in Kenya, soil maps and everything, you know, and then in 10 minutes, you get your soil testing on your mobile. Okay, 10 minutes. It used to take almost like 10 days or 15 days to get a soil test. Then that report doesn't sit with the farmer. 
it immediately goes to the agro dealer now agro dealer then creates what we will call it a customized fertilizer so it is not dump urea phosphorus in whichever way it is exactly the fertilizer which is required for that plot of land owned by that small okay they keep it ready now the farmer can go and pick it up it gets an sms it can go and pick it up but it's gone one step further that data goes to the financial institution and financial institution sanctions credit so that you don't have to then you know go and even run after the bank also because in kenya if you have to go to a bank branch it will take you 40 kilometers to reach a branch by that time you will spend so much money and all and small holder will give up on going there how do you bundle transactions which happen over a longer time at a higher cost so that data is then available to bank bank sanctions the money goes now we are going a step further and saying that the dealer can deliver services the fertilizer by courier at the doorstep of small holder now why does small holder farmer not get a courier service delivery of fertilizer till now data and digital technologies enables you know exactly where that farmer is located and you have a network of young entrepreneurs which we have now in in kenya we are supporting a lot of agripreneurs who will really provide this services at the last mile because again this is agriculture as a service so imagine now very simple things like soil testing fertilizer availability and delivery being bundled in form of product for small holders interesting thing is it costs you less now small holder is now getting services at 40% lower cost than what it was getting second you are also generating entrepreneurship for a service deliverer young people who are finding it very attractive that first young people like to deliver services digitally they don't yeah. like to deliver services in a conventional way so you have new class of digital agripreneurs emerging so i'm just giving you one example of that now other example would be like weather observatories you know like satellite data coming in so we have a kind of micro weather observatory in kenya where every group of farmers in a particular area gets micro weather advisory it's changed every 3 days what time to sow what else to do which practices to follow and its customized extension services are available there previously in order to get that data you have to go to 100 other sources it comes right at your doorstep through device there so what is basically is the precision advisory precision inputs the same thing is now about the markets the same information goes to a agri business which wants to buy that commodity the aggregate information goes to them that see this much quantity and quality is available at this place they then develop the logistics to do it and then you get an advice that in 3 days please keep your produce ready and graded and we will pick your stuff there so logistics industry also grows in rural areas you know uh, the grading industry grows in rural areas produce goes out to an agri business there so i think market wise people are discovering themselves small holder is able to discover a buyer buyer is able to discover a small holder the aggregators are also able to be in demand because aggregators are able to say that they have aggregate amounts there truck service provider or a logistics provider also is able to link up digital lot of tractors are also you know in hello tractor model have the trolleys at the back then when they go to the farmer they're also picking up the produce at the same time so you you can see that there was a lot of inefficiency 
in the input output transaction and service market of agriculture for a long time which i think is now possible to you know bundle them in such a way that they no, no longer remain information information if you just provide information which was done earlier you provide price information that's not enough you have to make information get converted into a transaction and transaction get converted into a payment and then only the farmers if they get their payment within 5 days next year they will produce more because farmers are never able to get inputs and outputs in time they were there is no incentive for them to keep on increasing their rate so in terms of economic incentives also it enables a lot of producers to plan ahead and also able to you know diversify and do other kinds of things i'm just giving you some examples but what we have done is that we try to when we go into a country we try to run innovation challenges in which we raise these problems which the farmers are facing or the food system is facing we ask the innovators to come with ideas and if they have tried something to present their solutions from this challenge we pick up the ones which are the best ones through a you know global challenge process through a jury which has farmers which has private sector which has all the people there and those 10 or 12 solutions which we think are most promising we then try to scale them in our investment programs which we do and the governments are also now very keen in kenya we have so many county governors now you know having partnership with these innovators and on themselves they are investing in their partnership with innovation so our role is to just demonstrate catalyze remove the you know imperfections and convene people who don't normally talk to each other and build this platform so building platforms and ecosystems is now the bigger investment as opposed to just making the investment so if you make an investment you don't build a platform ecosystem everything falls flat after project is over you need a platform and ecosystem which is not dependent on world bank which has many stakeholders there and it gets sustain on its own after the first investment is done right so parmesh you talked about mostly technological interventions at farm side producer side with your experience are you aware of any interventions which are on the consumer side where they are trying to bring consumer on one platform yeah i think the food technology part is very very important that's happening quite a bit right now you will see on proteins there is a big revolution coming in from consumer side and also you know so i think in on the consumer side what you will see now is what uh, pindoduo in china Uh, which is the one of the largest e-commerce companies there what it has done is it has organized farmers on one side and it has organized consumers on one side so consumers also form their own associations and they decide what kind of products are they looking at what kind of characteristics they are looking at they want to do bulk buying of something which is growing in one part of china so what it does is that consumers put in their you know demands and requests and desires and then the farmers on the other side are also organized uh, they farmers also produce their own videos and tell consumers what they have on offer so what i find is that unlike the e-commerce we see you know in this part of the world there there is a dialogue going on between consumers and farmers through a videos and we have seen this in many parts of latin america asia other india every other place this is now started happening where consumers would like to have a feel of what the farmers are doing and so you need a kind of a channel in between which allows this to happen basically e-commerce companies 
have now created dedicated portals for consumer like if you are a consumer you will have a portal of your own you show your preferences they will bring in all the people who are producing those commodities and data about that to your portal similarly a remote farmer in jinzhou province in china also has his or her portal in which he is putting and photographs of what produce he is doing the watermelons and all what fertilizers he has used and whether he is using pesticides or not all data is put in there and there is some verification then through some kind of people who go and do that and then once you are verified and you get rated then consumers know that you have these correct then the other consumers discover you who are looking for people like so i find that this is just the tip of the iceberg this is going to happen in future where consumers and producers will interact more frequently and the current e-commerce which is very much focused on just transaction where do i get the thing lowest prices and all will move on to discovering the environmental and social characteristics of the commodities which you are consuming in food this is what the major challenge in the food is if you look at europe is forming a new strategy farm to fork where it's saying that it will not procure products which are produced through child labor or through pesticide use or something like that so i think what will be required as we go forward is a very kind of active process of information exchange between consumers and producers and data and digital will play a role there i think uh, uh, i am so amazed if you go to these websites and you see farmers uh, making presentations you see consumers making presentations you know on what they want then they are talking to each other and that is what e-commerce should not be just a transaction platform it should be a platform in which people are continuously exchanging ideas about what kinds of things they are looking in products and things now the third dimension this is the business of food distribution and food preparation so here a lot of chefs also coming into this discussion so if you think you want to make something out of that commodity differently then chefs will come and tell you what are the three things then there's a nutritionist who will also come so and there are now applications and digital applications which will even tell you about the nutritional content of whatever you are producing and then if you have a particular health issue in terms of diabetes and all they will also guide you to what so ultimately food is a much more complex thing than what we have made it out to be you know so how do you produce procure uh, food which is uh, socially and environmentally sustainable and which is also nutritious and does not lead to obesity and health problems so health uh, is going to be a very big issue in food uh, discovery of how your food is produced is going to be a very important part and is it being produced by guzzling tons and tons of water which we cannot do now once the water is going to run out i think sustainability dimensions of the food are going to be very important and data and digital technologies will allow you to uh, you know calibrate much better how this could be done and and even the consumers will know how this food has come to us right so we talked about some uh, really great success cases but i'm very sure that it's not that easy while you implement the projects so what are some of the challenges you see in maximizing the benefits of such initiatives uh, i i think some of it might be related to stakeholder engagement across different ecosystems or working with different governments uh, can you share some insights on the challenges on agritech adoption and scaling up yeah see the question is that original green revolution model is broken basically that used to work for some cereals and some commodities right you know, and it used to work where you had more standardized conditions across the world 
Now, clearly, there is huge divergence in terms of conditions in which the produce is there. So now, research institutions also are, you know, not geared to do that. So basically, the biggest challenge is how do you change uh, agricultural technology development to move away from being a vanilla, you know, blueprint kind of a model to much more customized kind of development, in which requires a lot of farmer participation in research. You have to have not just uh, typical research institutions, but lots of other institutions which are innovating. Like what we see biggest challenge is that all these innovations which I'm describing are still not part of any curriculum. Then people are taught agriculture or technology or something. They're not part of the curriculum. So, so basically what I think the biggest challenge is for creating these uh, multi-stakeholder platforms where people who normally don't talk to each other, talk to each other. And innovations are converted into scalable models. So there's a lot of proof of concepting required to really look at these issues. And so you don't produce technologies in a very blueprint kind of a way. You take a problem and then work on it along with key stakeholders and come with solutions there. So I personally feel that we have now about 10,000 tech startups in the world, which are the people who are from agriculture and are bought in data and digital or people from data and digital who are bought in agriculture. Because everyone consumes food. So every even the technology guys are very interested in their food. It's not like that they are not interested in the food part. Once these 10,000 startups work with the researchers who already are in this field, and then they work with governments, you see a very different engagement which happens. That engagement needs to be facilitated. It needs to be you know, demonstrated. And that is the part which is most challenging in this case. So the role which the World Bank is playing is more like a facilitator and a convener in that sense. So our role is not just as a financing because people know us again like a financing institution. That's not the main role in a way. So you bring these people together. So I'll give you another example of how we are doing this in Indonesia now. So we just finished a, date, a kind of Kalchi hackathon kind of an event in Indonesia, wherein about 100 startups came in. All the government research institutions came in. The government came in. And also a lot of private companies, financial institutions all came in. And together, they learned about what is happening in Indonesia, but also in what is happening in the rest of the world, basically, from the best practice and whatever. And then about seven challenges were thrown at the innovators. And they were given some kind of data and all that to you know, work on. And based on that, they came with very creative solutions, you know, based on what can be done in Indonesia, on decarbonizing rice, you know, on uh, how to get remote island products because Indonesia has got so many islands coming into other areas. Fish, which is being produced quite a bit in Indonesia, how do you develop an IoT sensor to measure whether we have the optimal conditions for fish growth so that you can increase aqua productivity by this much? So a lot of ideas like that. So that event itself has led to so many innovations being scaled up by the government Government has agreed that they will look at some of these and provide policy environment to scale them up. There's a private financing which has come in to support those innovators. And similarly, the farmer organizations have also selected some of them through which our next project will link up these uh, different innovators and, and make an investment into scaling them up from wherever they are to 
almost five times to six times more. So I would say that it takes time to build the ecosystem. It takes time to build the platform. And that is the challenge, basically. Now, currently, you can see in COVID time, the governments have less money and uh, they are struggling. They're struggling to even meet the health needs. Fiscal space is low. So how do you convince the governments to look at these approaches when there's fiscal space is low? Government should not invest in everything out of the sun. Government should really look at the innovators who are there in the country, link them up with them. If you really keep on in, uh, linking these people up with the existing investments, you might make the best use of the existing investments and might get productivity increase market access, which is much higher. So Indonesia wants to become an agribusiness powerhouse. Okay. But it will not become an agribusiness powerhouse by just doing everything themselves. They will have to bring in all the innovations together and do that. So we spent about a year in every country in building this ecosystem and platform. And it's not going to be built everywhere. In some places, you have governments which immediately look at it. And I, I can see that the governments are very responsive normally once they know. And once this process of discovery is allows and time is given to do that, the governments are able to do it. But it's not going to happen everywhere at the same time. Sometimes, I'll give you an example of Sudan and Somalia. There are 12 e-commerce innovations happening in Somalia as we speak. So it is not about, you know, whether it's conflict or whether it's poor or rich. Innovation is happening, in fact, in places where traditional solutions have not worked, basically. I think even when I went to in Bihar in 2007, you know, and then a lot of people said that, oh, nothing can happen there and all. And when we did the innovation challenge, that's how we launched our project and program. Right. We found so many people came with solutions and we scaled up 30 of those solutions. And now the whole, uh, you know, India is copying from that and the National Livelihood Mission was built based on that and all that. So right. I believe in that we should spend a little bit more time in every context for finding out which innovations are good public. They can be in public. There are a lot of people in public sector who are not able to scale up their innovations also. And there are a lot of people who are in private sector who are also not able to, young people who are not able to. So you bring them all together and then create a platform, an ecosystem whereby you nurture these for some time. And once you create the ecosystem, the scale is much easier to do. But it is not uniform. You have to keep on doing it and iterating a little bit. Sometimes things fail. Sometimes they work. But that doesn't mean that you don't work towards building. It might take one year in one country to build an ecosystem. It might take six years in another country to build it. But if we invest without building the ecosystem, after five years of our projects, we have seen that things fail because the ecosystem was never created in the first place. So we thought that in five years, things are happening. But after five years, things collapse because they were happening uh, just because of some external stimuli. Right. So you talked about the role of government and I strongly believe that organizations like World Bank or any development partner can develop island of successes or proof of concept, but government has an important role to scale these up. So what kind of support does your team or World Bank in general provide to the government in addressing these challenges? Does your team train the government officials or professionals on the technology side of the agriculture? It is like training is a strong word. I think learning is the right word. Right. Because you just have to provide the learning opportunity. So our open learning campus of the World Bank, we organize uh, sort of for our clients 
senior management, middle management, practitioners, different kinds of you know learning opportunities in which we bring them together with other governments because le- governments learn better from other governments. They don't learn necessarily from the World Bank, basically. So in which we bring in, say, different governments who are working on the same problem and really make them engage with each other. We bring in some people, practitioners who have bought creative solutions in those areas, both from their geography, but from the other geographies also. So this open learning campus runs uh, various kinds of, uh, you know, offerings. Sometimes for senior guys, it's only one week. Others guys is for three weeks. And sometimes it online, it goes on for a longer period for people who can engage for a longer period. So apart from that, there are a lot of exchange visits which take place between the different countries and all. The important thing is to create a pool of people at every level, senior level. Ministers also, we have a very strong engagement with the ministers because they are the one who are you know, developing the policy environment. So unless you build this capacity in the government at various levels, like counties in Kenya, governors and their teams. So because most of our countries are now, uh, you know, federal countries which have delegated a lot of development, uh, you know, resources, policy to. uh, So I think if you are able to create a set of people at the local government level also who become, you know, the champions of this and have built the skills. so. So one thing is they should understand why this is required. They should understand what is to be done and they should understand how it has to be done. You have to build all the three aspects in a country so that after you have made the investments and you have given the initial technical assistance, there should be a core group there. Now, just give you an example of that also, that none of the ministries of agriculture has any chief data officer or digital officer. They're all still in the very old school kind of thing. So we are now motivating the governments to have their own data scientists and their own chief data officer in the ministry so that they are able to create internal kind of challenge to do that. And Kenya has really produced a very good model. Of, they have a chief data officer. They have lots of young interns with join the government and do that. And we know from India also, the young professional program and all which is there. So ultimately, it is not just about events. It is about creating an institutional architect which is allowed to learn from the technologies which are coming in, test them out, and then scale them up. Because technologies are going to keep on coming. They are going to come every year, new technologies are going to come. So have we developed a process by which the governments provide an environment for those technologies to come in, innovators to come in, and then also a policy for startups and all to be allowed them to work with the government on various things, at least on initial proof of concept. And then how do they take it to scale? You know, so I think there is policy, there is this ecosystem, there is institutional architecture, which you have to work with the government to do with that. So we stay with the government. So the difference is that we don't stop after making the investment. We spend two to three years on building learning, technical assistance and all with the government till they have developed some inner kind of a capacity to do it. And sometimes we engage over a longer period, like if you take government of Bihar and India. So we have started in 2007. Initially, we were engaged on some things, but those things governments very able to do well. Then we pick up new things to work with them. And mm-hmm. then we pick up. The, the nature of technical assistance will change, but the architecture is the same. In every government, you need 100 to 1,000 people 
who are part of that change. You know, if you are able to create that intensity, density, and institutional ecosystem, then it is long-term sustainable. It doesn't need the World Bank there. I don't think our our money keeps on coming down in all these projects. It is the learning, collecting evidence, looking at what is working and what is not working, and new kind of technical assistance which brings the latest technology. Whether if you take AI, machine learning, those things are going to become much more important as we go along. How do you use automated data analytics now in governments? Is going to become more important. The first level of analytics, governments able to do it. Itself. You know, it's not a big deal now at this stage because the government. There are people coming in the government with those kinds of skill sets as we go along. But it's a constant, you know, thing about if you take ecosystem and uh, local capacity as the outcome, can you do projects differently? If you look at just giving your resources and financing as the only outcome, uh, then you look differently. So those days when we looked at finance as an outcome. Are over. We don't look at it any longer. Right. So I remember reading the article in New York Times titled "Don't Let Your Children Grow Up to Be Farmers," which detailed how the issues of agriculture focusing on medium and small farmers. You briefly talked about what things need to be done in order to address these changes. But how do you think we can bring a shift from agriculture as a problem to agriculture as an opportunity? Three things which I would like to make here. first is don't look at agriculture look at agriculture and food in entirety food is going to create more opportunities for young people than agriculture will because there will be a lot of automation small holders may not remain the way they are so i think let's look at the food system as an opportunity because you don't only get opportunity in so you get an agriculture as a service opportunity you got climate smart advisory you are providing agripreneur solution in mechanization so there will be lot which will happen in the first part of agriculture but value chain more will happen new new jobs might come out of agri logistics okay new jobs may come out of processing new jobs may come out of grading and new jobs may come out of market you know intermediation this that might become a big chunk of jobs young people are not averse to that side of it young people are averse to manual uh, part of agriculture okay so i think we have to look at how we move away from very drudgery kind of agriculture to more the precision agriculture which is informed by data and digital and all that so younger guys are very find agriculture very cool if you can combine agriculture plus digital plus data that's our experience right. a lot of younger guys are doing it now if they have that but at the same time more opportunity realistically more opportunities will come out of not producing food but also on distributing food selling food and then making food preparations It's like if you look at the whole distribution of job opportunities from agriculture and food food entrepreneurship is a biggest source of growth food technology is biggest source of growth so if you make people realize opportunities out of that and currently the challenge is now how do farmers themselves become uh, move further in the value chain you see right now there's a big trade fair going on in india right now and uh, people from uh, you know remote parts of india are selling packaged products of millet uh, you know products and all that right now in in the international market where unserved consumers are buying that so it means a poor farmer 
in a remote area in Jharkhand is able to go and sell these products everywhere. And it's only possible because of uh, technology, data, digital, you know, all coming in there. If we had an e-commerce platform doing that, and a lot of them are selling their products on Amazon, Flipkart, and all that kind of thing. So you see a huge transformation of a small producer. But if every producer tries to do that, it's difficult. So maybe producer organizations might create their brand identity, digitize themselves, and then go further to do, do that. So I would say that agriculture, the way it is right now, will not remain cool. It has to be transformed into agriculture as a service. Precision agriculture, data and digital agriculture, processing, logistics, you know, hmm. market price discovery, you know, traceability solutions, then food preparation, food technology. You know. So ultimately, you can see that the entrepreneurship which grows out of food, if you take France, Netherlands, all these countries, food is the largest employer. It is not manufacturing, which is the largest employer in Europe. It is food, which is the largest employer. And why? Because France is able to produce 100 types of cheeses and all that. And, you know, so they have created out of a simple thing like milk, they have created 350 products. Thailand has created 45 mango candies out of mango itself. You know? And there you can see how, what kind of things are available in the tourist market there. And all. So ultimately you need to transform agriculture and food into differentiated products, organic and other kinds of things. And uh, so there is a lot of work required to convert products of smallholders into brands and to products. There. Medium um, guys will always uh, you know, do it because they have the resources to do it. The biggest challenge is how do we convert 500 million uh, smallholders into at least some million entrepreneurs, thousands of brands trillion dollar valuation of what they are producing. That is the challenge right now in the development part of it. And I think it needs a marriage between these innovators who are coming with new products, tech startups and all, food tech startups, some large agribusiness companies, farmer organizations, and governments trying to provide an ecosystem, enabling policy to be able to change agriculture from being sunset industry to a sunrise industry. And World Bank has to play a role along with the government in making that happen. So I think the reality is that a lot of people will go out of everybody. That has been the trend. So if you look at Europe, US, the number of people dependent on production agriculture is less, becoming less and less. But the number of people who are dependent on food is growing. It's not less. All the supply chain which goes into it, produced and all, that grows. So the job opportunities for young people will, but so we need their connect with the food. That is what we have to promote. They should know where the food is coming. Half the people, young people in urban areas don't even know where the food is coming. So the consumer side is also important to really make people realize where the food is coming from and then really build that architecture. It needs also drastic change in curriculum. The way we are teaching agriculture in both in agriculture uh, sciences and all, but also in the general sciences, general management has to change. And so I think this new scenario of what the food system in 2030 would look like needs to be now articulated much better. 
and then people look at opportunities differently and a lot of young people will come into it it's a constant uh, thing you also need to develop incubators in lots of institutions where people are coming rural areas and all so if you have incubators there that people are able to try these ideas and you know work on them while they are young then you will see young people getting more interested right so the discussion with you has been very informative parmesh uh, there is much to do in the field of food and the passionate leaders like you around uh, i see we can do a lot thank you so much thanks a lot shivanshu thanks for having me